Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, everybody, Scott Luton, Greg White, and Kelly Barner here with you on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Greg, how are we doing? I'm doing dandy. How are you doing? Doing wonderful. And Kelly, Kelly Barner is with us here. <laughs> Kelly, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I don't know if I'm exactly doing dandy. I would have to double check on the difference between doing great and doing dandy, but I like your spirit, Greg. Well, so thank you. My, uh, that is a, I don't know if it's a general Midwestern uh, greeting, but boy, everyone in my family says that. Dandy. <laughs> <laughs> also, also, my father, when you meet him, pass him in the hall, he says, howdy. Does anyone know what that means? <laughs> it means howdy or how do you do this fine day? That's what you, you say. Dandy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a, a lot of people, I can't, I haven't heard it in a long time, but a lot of people answer it in a very strange way. I guess I'd have, I'd have to think back to that. Like they think I've said something else. So, well, it's it's dialect Monday here uh, on the go. supply chain buzz. So y'all, hey, I'm, I'm glad we're teeing out. We're, we're leading with one this. another in Boston, Kelly. Hey, oh, <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> that's the southern way. Because it might be like freezing cold, so you have to be able to say it really fast. Gotta, hey, gotta be so, quick. In, yep. <laughs> in the south, it's a little bit more drawn out. Hey. Right, it's got almost two <laughs> syllables, right, Scott? Come on, Scott. Engage, about man. seven, seventeen syllables, man. Come on. Uh, how do you do, Miss Wiley? No, I'm kidding. But hey, today, Greg and Kelly, it's so neat to have um, Kelly bring the dial P for procurement vibe here. Yeah. To that this edition of the Buzz and Kelly, look, we're getting ahead of ourselves. But Greg and Kelly, our dear friend Jeffrey Ostrander's here, Greg. He was with us last week, and we were talking about his his uh, artisan side. Kelly, remember right. when he was drawing the graphics, right? Yeah, I do. We had a little Bob Ross moment on Jeff's Dial P live stream. <laughs> happy had a little blast. supply chain. This happy yeah. little supply chain. Exactly. No supplier relationship problems. Just happy little accidents. <laughs> Gosh, you are both well educated. In, I, need, uh, I need my fro. Yes. Hat, right. <laughs> Um, and, you know, it was funny, funny. We were just watching that this morning. It's great. Uh, so Hulu's got like, I don't know, 10 of the seasons available. And it's great music. If you need white noise kind of as you sleep. Man, he's got he's got a great voice. And, and you know, you pop up for an art lesson from time to time. So uh, stay tuned. Next week, the Bob Ross Hour here at Supply Chain Now. Going way too soon. Um, okay, so back to uh, today's show. Uh, it's all about Supply Chain Buzz, Dow P Edition where we share some of the leading stories across global business, Greg and Kelly. And folks should know, all maybe except three people across the globe, Dial P, Dial P for Procurement Podcast, say that seven times fast, mm. is hosted, of course, by Kelly Barner, where she shares news, views, and thought leadership from across the uh, the newly cool world of procurement. Right, Kelly? Well, it's always been cool. 
It's that you all just found out about it. Sort of like everyone and their mother is now an expert on supply chain because they found toilet paper and got a turkey last Thanksgiving. (laughs) Procurement has always been cool. Wicked cool, Greg. Uh, But it's just that now there's more awareness of just how cool we actually are. Okay. Greg? I think my awareness, Scott, is that I still don't know enough about procurement. So whenever there's a question, I just ask. I just dial P for Kelly. That's right. There you go. (laughs) Uh, And some folks may know that's a little play off uh, Alfred Hitchcock movie, which Kelly's a big fan of. Uh, Dial M for murder. Is that right, Kelly? That's correct. Oh, yes, with Grace Kelly. Oh, my gosh. One of the greats. (laughs) Okay. All right. So, folks, much like this opening, we're going to talk about a wide variety of stories across global business, right? Uh, and hey, as always, nice we, want to hear from, <laughs> we want to hear from you too, uh, right? Greg and Kelly and I are all going to give our takes on a variety of stories. But one of our favorite yes. parts, all three of us, uh, is hearing from folks uh, in the cheap seats and uh, hearing your takes. So before we get started, uh, Greg and Kelly, I want to share two quick events, right? Yeah. So tomorrow, Greg, we've got this uh, really neat webinar with our friends at Enable. Three ways to stay afloat through the supply chain crisis. Uh, really focus on the distributor side of the business world. Greg, that's a very unique uh, sector, right? It is unique, and um, it's really interesting and necessary. So the reason that someone who owns a whatever, a Subway, doesn't have to buy a pallet of ham is because of distributors. So they take on the large volumes and they can distribute it in smaller bits to retailers because manufacturers want to ship often in pallets or even larger quantities. So it's a really, really important part of the of the commerce and, yes. and supply chain. Um, and I don't know if you know this, Scott, but 22 years ago, around 1999, 2000, People said that s- distributors would cease to exist within five years. Really? So, yeah. Yeah. They, they really thought that brands would go direct. I, um, as you can imagine, wrote a ranting dissertation on, on why that wouldn't work because of the economies of scale of, of manufacturers. But not that distributors are going away, but more and more manufacturers are going direct. And we're seeing the impact in terms of cost for that because it's cheap to ship a pallet. It's expensive to ship in each. Mm, Interesting. Join us us tomorrow, special time, 1130 Eastern time. Join us for free. You just got to register. Glad you said that, Scott. I'm going to have to double check my calendar. (laughs) (laughs) Kelly, that'd be important uh, for sure. (laughs) And then separately uh, from um, distrib- uh, distributor models to packaging and profitability and sustainability. Join us August 10th uh, at 12 noon Eastern time as we feature the uh, organization that's on the move, a startup on the move, uh, Packurate and uh, and Stored, also an organization doing some really cool things. Join us there 12 noon August 10th. The links are in the comments. Okay, Greg and Kelly, we've got four stories to work through here today. Really excited to get both of y'all's take um, uh, I think we've got some hot topics that we're certainly going to be diving into. But before we do all that, let's say hello to a few folks, uh, starting with, hey, Sophia's back. Sophia says, hello, good morning, starting August with good energy. Sophia, great to have you back. Greg and I, we were just chatting about Sophia the other day, weren't we? Yeah, we were. Us and Enrique from Vector. 
Yeah, yeah. Enrique is a uh, huge fan. He might have a Matthew. Sophia yeah. uh, tattoo on his left shoulder, huh? Did he? I didn't get to see that. I was a little late to the call, as <laughs> I'm sure everyone here can imagine. But You missed the part where they were comparing their tats. Right. <laughs> Never right. show up late to a call where people might be comparing their tats. Uh, yeah, no tats for me, so there's no point <laughs> in me showing up early. Oh, same. That makes two of us. Um, I've never, no tats and no piercings. I don't know how I made it through my journey. Uh, Can't say no piercings, but no piercings <laughs> anymore. Okay. <laughs> well, Sophia, uh, uh, kidding aside, great to have you. I always enjoy your perspective. Uh, Shelly Phillips is back with us. Good morning to three of my favorite supply chain people. How about that? That's high Hi, praise, Shelley. Kelly Barner. Yeah, Shelly shared that she was excited. She was going to start her week off on the right note by joining us here today. So I'm um, I'm thrilled, Shelly, your schedule worked out so that yeah. you could be here with us live. Yeah, awesome. thank you. And Greg, Shelly's been showing up in our live streams, uh, uh, throwing down some really uh, interesting perspective and expertise, right? Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's great to get to share with more and more practitioners like her and the rest of our crew here. Um, Supply chain, whatever, gang sign. Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, uh, I thought you were taking a picture or something. Uh, if a uh, forward was involved trying to do, or something. Trying to invent a gang sign right here on the I got on the <laughs> Man, Greg, just when I think I've got you nailed, I, I know what to expect. You surprise me and keep me on my toes. I love it. Uh, as we mentioned, uh, Jeff O is with us back uh, here today. Looking forward to your perspective. Diesel is here. Clay Phillips says, welcome all. Dial P and Buzz Day together. Uh, big thanks to Catherine, Amanda, and everyone on the production team helping to make it happen. Catherine says, happy August and happy Monday, Buzz family. Uh, Greg, can you believe it? August 1st. Uh, Greg and Kelly. So I tuned in to some of Jose um, Jose's live stream Friday afternoon. Really enjoyed it. Um, they talked about kind of how to break into supply chain on so many different levels. So, Jose, keep hmm. cranking out the great stuff. I love uh, the coffee breaks with your focus on supply chain and logistics. And great to have you here today. Lucille, uh, coming, in, uh, coming in from Toronto via LinkedIn. Kelly, Greg, have you ever been to Toronto? Many, many times. I haven't. Okay. No, but okay, hi, Lucille. Well, let me make a list of restaurants for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you very much. And Lucille, welcome. Great to have you here. Look forward to your perspective. Peter Bollet, all hey, night and all Peter. day, back with us. He, uh, Kelly and Greg, he must have carved out some time because he's got a, yeah. a new role that's keeping him hopping, right? I was just thinking that. Yeah, he's busy, busier than ever. That's right. So a I can't even imagine what he was like at work, right? For those of you who don't know, Peter is retired so <laughs> imagine when Which he was why he's busy. at work well so he, I, I think he retired from being retired because he couldn't take the downtime <laughs> so he's gonna he will fill us in uh rest assured yeah. on on the official status but regardless peter i'm sure you're doing big things great to have you here uh james tuned in uh once again with us via linkedin from the raleigh durham area the triangle of North Carolina. Great to see you here, James. Uh, great barbecue up in that neck of the woods for sure. Now, Sophia asked, not even a supply chain now <laughs> tattoo. Greg, I can't speak for you. And Kelly, I can't speak for you. Uh, who knows? Uh, but I can say I do not have a supply chain now tattoo. Um, Greg, Could be a Kelly? merch opportunity. You know, the, <laughs> like, um, the ones that wash off? Yeah. 
the henna the, ones, the little temporary, yeah. yeah wet it like in the, the Bazooka Joe packs of Bazooka yes. Joe gum and stuff. Okay, exactly. All right. Uh, I love Scott, that stuff, man. You were man. born like four decades too late, man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Barb Sexton is back with us. Barb, yeah, great to see you here that. today. Uh, so lovely, she says, to see all of your smiling faces. Well, Barb, love your good work. And yeah. Greg, and maybe Kelly, Barb is always one. She's one, one of the most positive people, I think, in our collective network. So, Bob, Barb, great to have you here today. Uh, Joey, dropped my son off at a twins training camp and excited to be back with the crew today for some great supply chain dialogue with the best. Joey, you're too kind, man. You're yeah. too kind. Yeah. I really appreciate that. Also twins played the Padres yesterday and it was, a. when I left, it was tied one, one. So I'm curious who won. Uh, give us a box score, Joey. Give yeah. us a box score. Hey, talking about a uh, uh, big winners, Kim winner is with us here today. Great to see you from uh, Dubai. The one and only Kim Winner, uh, Kelly and Greg. And, and Greg, I think he'll be joining us for our upcoming Buzz uh, maybe in a couple weeks. I don't know is the that, exact date, but the answer is yes. Okay. Um, yeah. I was going to see if you want to check your your calendar on that one too. We'll, we'll get back. But uh, Kim, great to have you here. Looking forward to your perspective. And finally, Peter said yes. Needed to fill my day, uh, and I bet he has filled it quite a bit. So great yeah. to have you here with you us. Can only Peter. remodel so many houses and and build so many decks, and that's right. And uh, <laughs> oh my he was gosh. managing all kinds of projects around. <laughs> yeah, not just right. his. I mean, he was going to the neighbors' houses and running theirs. That's right. Uh, all right, so I got to pull one final before we get into the news of the day, Kelly. There's a question in our team chat. And I'm going to pull that out. <laughs> it says, <laughs> Catherine asks if you have any secret Harley tattoos. Because some folks may not know, Greg, that Kelly Barner and her significant other, they're big motorcycle uh, enthusiasts, right, Kelly? We are. Yes, we are. Uh, first anniversary, we renewed our wedding vows on the back of a Harley at a drive through wedding chapel. Same one Britney Spears went to. Fortunately, it's worked out better for us. Who knows? <laughs> Maybe whatever time this is will be the charm for Britney Spears. So, Britney. Um, yeah. So, no, no secret or publicly known about Harley tattoos. However, if we're looking for a little bit of edge, I will offer up that despite my little earpiece in, yes. I have three ear piercings in each oh, ear right down the bottom, oh. which means I have too many piercings to get a job at Hooters. <laughs> so if this supply chain now thing does not work out for me, true? yes, you're limited to, I think you're limited to two in each year. My so mind too is blown. edgy to work at Hooters. How's that? No tattoos, but also not working at Hooters. All right. I got to pull Daniel's comment here. He says tattoos, piercings, <laughs> gang signs, definitely off to a unique start. <laughs> so, you can't Daniel. take librarians anywhere. <laughs> Seriously. It's not safe. Oh, Daniel, great to have you back with us. Love your perspective. Well-educated and we love perspective. supply chain that much, Daniel. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, really quick, Armias <laughs> tuned in from Ethiopia. Uh, looking forward to uh, hearing a lot of pro procurement best practices. Armias, great to have you here. And Muhammad tuned in from uh, Somalia. Great to have you here via uh, YouTube. Uh, so looking forward to y'all's perspective here today. Okay, folks. As much as I enjoy Greg and Kelly's company and all the company of everyone in the cheap seats, let's dive into our first topic here today, okay? 
So let's see here. Uh, up first, uh, Kelly, I want to start with big news yeah. out of Washington, D.C. U.S. government believes it has identified a global network that is surreptitiously, that's quite a word, shipping mm. Iranian oil and avoiding Western sanctions. So, Kelly, tell us more about it. So this is actually really interesting. And part of what I like about it is because it makes clear how important understanding your supply chains and traceability is. But part of why I like it is this news broke on Sunday afternoon, I believe, while I was doing the final research for this week's Dial P. So I'm actually digging into the oil and gas supply chain, looking at profit margins and capacity issues at different tiers of that supply chain. And this story broke. So basically what's happening is that we have sanctions against Iran and they have found a way mid-ocean to transfer crude oil from Iranian ships to Iraqi ships and either just plain make it look like Iraqi oil or mix it all together so that once it reaches the refinery, you have absolutely no idea where this product actually came from. Mm. Although some of the really big oil companies, I know ExxonMobil was listed as potentially being involved in some of these transactions. They mm. had no knowledge of it, which is scary for anyone managing a supply chain. And if we needed any more reason to be concerned about this, I will just simply say Russia. If we can't create these sanctions and then find a way to ensure that the entire world is standing by them, it directly undermines the impact that those sanctions can have against some pretty bad actors. Well, first off, every refinery can know and should know where their oil comes from because there's varying levels of sulfur content and various and sundry other things that are required to tune a refinery to refine specific kinds of oil. I know it sounds crazy, but oil ain't oil. I mean, there's, there is, right, light, sweet, crude. There is heavy crude. There is... And, and, you know, there's all kinds of different factors based on what went into the making of that oil. So there's a clampet variety, I believe, they, Greg. They know. Um, they know or could know and, and certainly should know what they're getting because if they're assuming that it's Iraqi oil and it's not, and that's a different enough makeup, that could cause real problems, safety problems in the refinery. So um, I, I have no doubt that this is, you know, this is known. The other thing, Kelly, to your point is so impressive. And look, this is what Kelly is always bringing us what most of us don't know. And that is sanctions are not, they are a political motion. They are yep. not an effective enforcement motion because we say we have sanctioned this or that, but even we've, as we've discovered, you know, this is what I love about the age of transparency. As we've discovered with the sanctions on Russia, it you know, we do it in a way that allows us to convince our constituency that we are really coming down hard on a bad actor. But the truth is, even those governments that are sanctioning these bad actors are surreptitiously, that's a great word, surreptitiously accepting shipments. And, and, and to the extent that now that Russia has cut off, for instance, or is cutting off natural gas to Europe, Europe still has a crisis. Why? Because they've always been buying 
Russian natural gas. So, I mean, I think, um, I'm not sure that's going to be overcome in the short term, but knowing that that's occurring is one step towards Agreed. fixing it. Well said. Okay, we've got a bunch of comments here we're going to get to here. First off, uh, GP, Gene Pledger is tuned in from North Alabama via LinkedIn. Great to have you as always, Gene. Love to get your take here. Uh, Daniel says, looks like they stole a looks like they stole a page from North Korea. Recall stories about a decade ago about North Koreans getting oil at sea to avoid sanctions. You mean North North Korea is, is uh, setting the trends in global bad actorship. Imagine that. Um Rhonda, Rhonda says, goodness, busy August 1st, but I made it for some learning time. Dr. Rhonda, great to have you with us as always. Uh, Jeffrey says, hmm, I wonder what the INCO terms would be for mid-sea <laughs> shipment. I'll do, I'll do his, uh, his emoji. I don't know. That's a great uh, great comment there. Greg, great, Greg, great to have you back with us. I want to say from Milwaukee. It's been a little while, but Greg, great to have you. says, what would be a good research on gas is all the different winter and summer blends to Greg's point. And do we really need all the, all the uh, different types and would it be possible, possible, gosh, Monday uh, to narrow the different blends. That is an excellent comment mm -hmm. there. Uh, and then Shelly, I think uh, liked my, Clampett uh, blend comment, black gold, Texas tea. Shelly, we're channeling together here today. I love that. And Greg is confirming it is Milwaukee. Uh, Greg, we love Milwaukee. I was just on a panel last week with Dr. Rhonda, uh, with someone that was uh, has made Milwaukee their home for quite some time. Okay. Milwaukee famous for the latest TikTok trend. Oh, right? really? Stealing Kias and Hyundais with a USB drive. Really? <laughs> yeah. Can that you is believe not that? Hitting. No. What is what it's is insanity? TikTok? I wonder if Greg's experienced any of that. <laughs> Hopefully not. Apparently, it's very very easy. So we're not. I mean, unless any of you are potential Kia thieves out there, we're not really telling anybody that all right. TikTok and Instagram don't know. So that's right. Um, okay, so I got a couple of did you knows. So Greg and Kelly, and to all of our wonderful listeners, did you know that the U.S. has imposed a wide variety of sanctions on Iran dating back to 1979? Mm -hmm. now, of course, when the U.S. Uh, embassy was seized during the uh, revolution. Um, and Greg, to your point, if folks look in this article from the Wall Street Journal, uh, there's a lot of what's the you know right hand asking what left hand's doing and vice versa for for these bad actors and countries to get around some of these uh, political sanctions. And then secondly, Greg and Kelly, y'all might get a, both of y'all have seen Top Gun too, right? Yeah, yeah. Average. I will okay. admit I have not yet. Okay. Oh my All right. gosh, so, Kelly. I know. I went to see Minions instead. I needed to know about the rise of Gru. Okay. <laughs> okay. Legit, well, because you have little ones and. Actually, I'm and going I to love that the soon. minions also. Yeah. I'm well, <laughs> let me tell you where I'm going thing. with this. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Scott. Back so that's right. Well, so in Top Gun 2, they don't name the uh, adversary that the um, U.S. Navy takes on, right? It goes right. nameless. However, Greg, uh, I know you know about the F-14s, which without making any spoilers, makes an appearance in the movie. And there's only one country in the entire world that still operates the F-14s. And they've still been able to get around the lack of uh, U.S.-made service parts. It's really amazing. Some folks think they've got as many as 40 to 50 operational F-14s, and that's Iran. 
So mm-hmm. um, it, it's, it's fascinating. But anyway, Kelly, go check out Top Gun 2 when your schedule allows. I think Greg has seen it seven times. Four. four? Just four now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So uh, Greg says no. But he's I'm not open been if anyone wants to go see it, by the way. <laughs> okay. Wingman. Wingman. Greg wing. says <laughs> he's not been impacted with the TikTok trend that uh, Greg suggests. Keep your That's good news. Indoors and locked. Right. Uh, let's see. Gary says Maverick was awesome. Hey, Gary, we agree with you, and I hope this finds you well and your podcast. Uh, great to have you back here. Sophia is confused by Maverick's phrase, don't think, just do. It is a bit Jedi-ish, isn't it, it's Greg? a little bit Yoda. Yeah. Yeah. Greg? Yeah. You know, the, they explain it on the show, and <clears throat> and actually that harkens back to the original Top Gun. Ah, okay. But you don't have time to think. That's you right. Just Sometimes you have to go completely on instinct is the point. Muscle memory, right? That, um, yeah. <laughs> so Greg and Kelly, okay, we got to move into, and, and y'all keep the comments coming. Keep giving us your take on these stories. We got a really interesting second story here, Greg. Uh, you know, your supply chain summary on this topic, uh, I think it was Friday, got a ton of attention. Uh, so I want to talk semiconductors as Congress has delivered on the 52 billion dollar bill holy cow that amongst other things provides funding to invest in the u.s computer chip industry y'all see i had to emphasize b as in billion massive bill uh, amongst other things so greg uh folks uh, you can check out the link to get greg's take from friday but in a nutshell tell us about this greg yeah um you know the u.s or companies in the u.s invented semiconductors so uh, you'd think we'd be a big player. <laughs> it was interesting to look at at the chart that goes along with this article. We are in the group uh, of others that make up 13% of the right. production of all semiconductors around the world. And Taiwan makes up 63% and 18% is South Korea. So, um, you know, if anyone knows about China and Taiwan, you know what the danger there is. Obviously, they will inevitably be taken over by China at this point. That you know now people are speculating it could be as recent as the next eighteen months, but definitely by twenty thirty one. The dirty little secret is the U.S. government knows this and is planning for it and is coordinating with the Chinese on it. So, um, <laughs> so we have to do something. Still. And at the same time, this doesn't solve the biggest problem, which is that China is the largest extractor of not largest holder or even um, miner. Well, they are the largest miner and extractor of rare earth elements, which strangely are not rare. They exist in the earth's crust. And China is the only country that will, to the extent is required, disturb the earth's crust peel the skin off the earth to to then separate and and extract these rare earth minerals so they are they uh, are in charge of 80% of all rare wow. earth mineral extraction so there's a whole lot of else going on here honestly my feeling is and man we got some great suggestions in the comments if you want to read it i think we can or did drop the link in there people have suggestions from um, 
um, lab-created rare earths to mining asteroids and and other space matter to try and collect um, rare earth minerals because they're highly conductive or have other properties that are required for semiconductors. But this this bill it is not substantially going to change anything because China is still in charge of rare earth uh, mineral extraction. So um, on the other hand, I cannot believe I'm going to say this out loud and I'm not, I can't look at Kelly while I say this, $52 billion is not that much money in the grand scheme of things for the U.S. government. I cannot believe I just said that out loud. Well, not when you're looking to build fabs that cost between 10 and 20 billion a piece. Ah. Right. 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 Um, so, so, I mean, th this is, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think there are aspects of it that are necessary. There are industries for which it is necessary. Obviously, defense um, and healthcare industries for which it is necessary. Other than that, I think everyone else is going to have to kind of scrap for it and hope that, uh, hope beyond hope that Taiwan does not get taken over soon. All right. So, Kelly, your thoughts here? So, actually, this is brings up two interesting things to me. Um, one, I'm sort of teasing all my advanced episodes. This week is oil and gas supply chain. Next week on Dial P, which I'm working on a little bit ahead of schedule, is digging into this, the CHIPS Act of 2022. And I'm traveling this weekend. And so I had really hoped to record it and have it sort of in the can before I took my trip. But I am watching on an hourly basis the news about whether or not Speaker Pelosi makes the decision to land and visit in Taiwan, because I suspect that how that goes will actually have a bearing on the way that we look at this story. So I'm watching minute by minute. And if I have to, I will re-record on Monday so that we can go to production on time. But the other thing that I found interesting in, again, researching this this weekend, is that when you look at the biggest players worldwide in the actual manufacture of semiconductor chips, you've got Taiwan, China, Japan, South Korea, the European Union, they are all getting significant subsidies from their governments. So what this is really doing is catching the U.S. up to the way that other countries around the world have been doing this for a long time. It's a very expensive business to build a fab and to keep it up to date as we get down into smaller and smaller nanometer chips. But it makes me worry as a business person, are we throwing in the towel and acknowledging that this is no longer a profitable enough business to exist worldwide without government subsidy? I don't know the answer to that. Um, anybody that's ever listened to a dial P knows that I'm highly skeptical when the government shows up and says they're here to help us. Um, especially when one hand's in front of them with money in it, I kind of want to know what's that other hand doing behind your back? What's right. in there? Right. Um, so I think it's on the one hand, it's catching us up to way the rest of the world, especially major producers have been handling this, but I worry from an industry and innovation and leadership standpoint about whether this is actually the right thing to do bigger picture. Yep. Well, speaking of that bigger, bigger picture, uh, Greg and Kelly, according to mm -hmm. fortune business insights, the global semiconductor market is projected to grow from $574 billion in 2022 to $1.4 trillion in 2029. A couple of thoughts, especially as it goes back to China, 
you know, I wonder if uh, the semiconductor industry was not as big as it is on the island of Taiwan, if the whole situation wouldn't be where we are here today. And, and secondly, I was looking over the weekend uh, about what's going on from a real estate standpoint and a financing standpoint in China uh, and the impact it's having far beyond the national banks, but the, the Communist Party. And it really, there's... It, there is a fascinating television miniseries playing out here. So many different elements. And Kelly, much like you, um, waiting with bated breath to see what happens with the speaker and her travel and the reaction based on the choices that are made. Greg, uh, give you the last word here. Yeah, if it weren't for semiconductors and us strongly protecting Taiwan, it would already be part of China. Um, the only reason that China hasn't already taken it back is because they couldn't risk the commercial relationship with the United States, which is what all we really have to threaten them with, right? And economic woes, uh, and yes, of course, that is part of the long-term plan of China, and they'll just wait until they get the right administration to allow them to do it. They might have it now, um, mm. but but they will, def you know, they don't plan in four and eight-year increments like we do in the States. They plan in 20 and 50-year increments because they don't have a constituency. They don't give a damn about what their quote unquote voters think because they always, right? The Chinese Communist Party always wins the election. That's right. So. Um, okay. So uh, stay tuned. We've been talking again about this, uh, uh, this big bill that passed, uh, um, gave the White House a big win of $52 billion. And, and, and as, uh, let's see here. As Greg point, or I'm sorry, as Gary points out, always wonder what the bill all encompasses. Sometimes adding additional language that it's brushed over, but very important. Because the bill uh, as a whole is, is two hundred and eighty billion dollars. Right. Yeah. This is just part of a two hundred and eighty billion dollar bill, and you can find what else is in it. I'm going to suggest that if you're easily angered, you don't look too deep. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Actually, I can tell you right off the top two things that would surprise people. One is that it reauthorizes uh, NASA, the space exploration, and it provides for security protections for Supreme Court justices. Okay, so interesting. two things in there that have nothing whatsoever to right. do with something. Well, that is good. Wow. Yeah, but yeah. And that and that's this, I mean, and this is, you know, having studied politics, this is one of the strange ironic things yeah. the stuff that they stuff in to make someone vote for a bill right. is often not related at all to the original intent mm. look at the covid relief bill wherein new jersey got a um soccer stadium built right, right um whatever it was 15 million dollars <laughs> oh goodness um all right so uh moving right along i want to share a couple quick comments greg kim winter is ready to be your wingman for Top Gun. Uh, that would make eight times between us in terms of uh, views. But flights to the U.S. are a bit tight currently. Well, Kim, we'll make that happen soon. I'll meet you halfway in London. <laughs> That's right. How's that, Kim? I'm not going that, to Frankfurt because you can't get a flight out of Frankfurt right now. Apparently. That's right. Uh, Gary and Shelly and Gene and Greg are enjoying your perspective here. Greg says, Kelly's right. When money's in one hand, what is really happening? Uh, excellent point. And Daniel says, God bless riders, uh, the riders uh, in the congressional bills. Man, a lot of folks made a bunch of money that way, huh? 
Um, okay. Well, moving right along, uh, Greg, do you remember last week when we talked with Corinne Bursa about 11 technologies uh, that were really yeah. shaping global supply chain, right? Yeah. Um, and Kelly, you might have seen this too. This was uh, powered by the MHI organization and, and based on I think, 300, 400 practitioners. Well, 3D printing was, um, I, I would say, um, not one of the sexier technologies that, that the research really focused on. I think that's pretty accurate. So, Greg and Kelly, when I saw this article here uh, via CNBC, um, I thought it was really r pretty cool. And, and, and at first, I was like, as I started to read, I was like, man, this is like the same story that's been written about 3D printing forever. But, Greg and Kelly, as I got a little deeper, um, it, it, was, it was different. Uh, I remember some 10, 11, 12 years ago sitting in a presentation that um, a procurement executive with Caterpillar, uh, as, as he was sharing about how they were using it uh, to get spare parts out faster to these big mining trucks, right? Uh, that, that are, um, at the time, autonomous based on what he was saying, and they run like 24 hours a day. So if they sit there with a you know, broken down with a need for a spare part, you're losing hundreds of thousands of dollars in that gold mine, right? As he was saying it. Um, $25 million an hour now is what wow, it is. Wow, great. I just happened to have done a little bit of discussion with a company who helps keep those trucks running. Yeah, man, that is fascinating, Crazy, right? On the money, uh, no pun intended. But it seems like since since I sat there and listened to, and I was really fascinated with what Caterpillar was doing, it seems like the mass adoption's been been really um, slow, um, for lack of a better word. Um, Greg, if you remember during the height of the pandemic, we were talking about some government agencies here in the U.S. that were using 3D printing to better prepare for the PPE shortages, right? Masks and, and other things. Right. Uh, so back to the store via CNBC. Uh, Goodyear, uh, as, it, as it reports on, opened a plant in May in Luxembourg that revolves around its use of 3D printing to make tires in small batches. Get this, four times faster than traditional production. And the company is also leveraging the technology to bring airless tires to the market by 2030. Greg, Kelly? Have y'all heard anything about these airless tires? Um, well, you know, it's just an adaptation of run flats, really. Okay. Right? Um, and and actually, it's worth going to CNBC. We have the link, right? It's worth going to CNBC to see the photograph that's actually in the article of what a, an airless tire looks like. It's actually ugly, but it looks, <laughs> but you get how it could work. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, the, if the article has shared anything it's that this is very specialized right now because it's very high cost with machines costing in some cases upwards to 500k or a million bucks um and things like the caterpillar parts they're actually finding some engineering they argue they're finding some engineering benefits there because instead of composite parts they are um laser printing or 3d printing the laser printing that'd be cool uh, they're 3d printing <laughs> the entire part as one piece rather than componentry that has to be put together. And they're finding some uh, strengths in terms of the products uh, wear rates with that. Well, so, so, and Kelly, I'm gonna get your take in just a second, but Greg is knows exactly where I'm going because Boeing, which also is a big part of the story, uh, has a subsidiary producing satellites that are hundred percent 3d printed. 
And that offers, using that process, a 30% reduced cost. And get this, it trims five months off production lead time. But at the heart of it all, and maybe to the reason why it's been so slow, one of the reasons why it's been slower for the industry to adopt 3D printing in a more widespread basis. Get this, Kelly and Greg, from Melissa. I'm going to say Orme. It could be Orm. Orme. I'll go with Orme, though. Uh, she leads additive manufacturing for the entire Boeing enterprise. She says, quote, it requires a cultural shift to embrace it. Engineers are taught to design with reduced risk, and that leads them to, to traditional manufacturing. We need more production data to get to a level of comfort in design for additive. Once we do that, we can eliminate or reduce the risk of this evolving technology, end quote. Mm -hmm. She also references she needs something like they need something like 70 years, seven decades of production data in order to get to that point. I'm sure they'll find a condensed way of getting there. But um, uh, Kelly, let's get to you. Let's get, go to your own your thoughts, and I'll circle back to Greg here. When I read this story, it was so interesting because 3D printing is not new, right? It's very prevalent in middle school science labs, uh, public libraries also. But clearly, we're getting to the point where there's going to be actual industrial applications. And so looking at this as a procurement person, I think of it as sort of the classic optimization challenge. What we have to do is come up with some type of formula or analysis that allows us to look at cost, turnaround time, and the flexibility of being able to have variable specs. And not only do we have to build something that bounces all of those things off of each other, we have to build a model that can change as it becomes faster and less expensive. And some of the, the constraints that we might be facing today um, are, are finally overcome. Because especially in the case of tires, one of the things that allows them to cost what they cost is that they're largely standardized. It's a very few product numbers per maker that is the vast part of their volume and, and they can drive a lot of cost efficiencies that way. But as this technology actually starts to revolutionize because it isn't as expensive and we all know the importance of speed in business, I think it's going to be around building a model that helps us make the decision for each use case and not get stuck in, a, in an assumption every six months or eight months or nine months rerunning that based on the new information. So we mm -hmm. have to build out an analytical model that's not fixed at one point in time, but evolves with the technology. Well said. Uh, Greg? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I, that a lot of that is well over my head, but uh, <laughs> I think the point is, is the foundational point is we have the ability to continue to evaluate as more data is gathered and we need to do so with greater frequency for sure. That goes to a lot of things, right? Not, not just 3D printing, um, reevaluating data or adding data that we've discovered you know, post, post its its generation um, will help us accelerate a lot of those models to assess their effectiveness. I think, look, you know, to Kelly's point, 3D printing has been around since the 80s, right? It's only taken 40 years for it to become an overnight success. Um, <laughs> so, but, but still, I think... Um, the, the thing that I like about the way that it's being contained right now is that it's in unique and high value uh, product. If you can, if you are willing to, to apply a new technology to unique and high value, life-saving, uh, mission critical pr products, that bodes very well for its future. 
Mm. Right. Um, so I think that that is, um, I think we'll see that for a few decades more, just the high value products. Um, and then we'll, we'll figure out ways to scale it as Kelly talked about by analyzing the continuing growing, continually growing database. And the company that can find that sweet spot and hit it ahead of the competition because they've been running the numbers and running the numbers and running the numbers is going to have an advantage. It's going to be very hard for their competition to catch up with. Well said. Well said. And it'd be interesting when uh, in, in engineering programs that uh, 3D printing as a methodology uh, for design and, and, and a lot more uh, better permeates. Uh, so th- so there's, there's less risk seen around incorporating that into um, you know, design engineering and whatnot. But I thought, I thought it was a fascinating uh, different take, what both of you are sharing, different take on 3D printing and some of the constraints of why we haven't seen it, uh, Greg, to your point. Um, earlier, uh, seen it more. Um, so y'all check it out. We dropped a link in the comments. Got a bunch of comments here. Let's see here. Uh, Dr. Rhonda says, looks interesting. And did hear about car parts being created via 3D printing. Amazing in terms of cost savings and maybe making things in remote areas. Uh, you know, Greg, going back to our, some of our earliest episodes, uh, we had uh, case studies, uh, as I recall, around the Marines. Um, and you leveraging 3D printing in some remote areas. I can only imagine where where they've gotten to now. Uh, great point yeah. there, Greg. Well, and old cars, I mean, to, to Rhonda's point, old cars, there aren't parts for some old cars now, but they have right. the spec around the, the product itself and can recreate them now. And that is, I believe if you've ever been to bringatrailer.com. Uh, <laughs> um, that it, no, it's really allowing people to um, to, uh, bring back from the dead tons and tons of old cars. And I think that's actually a great space for experimentation because those cars see low miles, um, low speeds, mostly they're show cars. Um, and, and, you know, if you can make it fit and make it work on an ancient engine, um, you know, with, with loose tolerances and all of the various and sundry other issues that these old cars have. Yeah. I think it's a great test ground for it. Unfortunately, by extension, we also have to acknowledge that as we were talking about in our last story or a couple of stories ago, the Iranians could also use 3d printing to create parts for F-14s that they can no longer get from right. us. So every technology, there are good guys and bad guys trying to use it for different reasons. Um, if it works for bringatrailer.com, it's also going to work for the Iranian Air Force. That is right. Great point. Nice nice to, uh, segue to different stories there, Kelly. Uh, speaking of Air Force. Her spare time doing much more productive than mine. <laughs> no pun intended. Spare time. Get it? Get oh, it? Oh, hey, Greg. <laughs> hey, Greg. Greg says, uh, Greg Studer says, Air Force has been making parts of 3D printers on non-vital uh, parts, cutting time in supply chain. Excellent point. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gene Pledger, the period, future period. Uh, well said, mm-hmm. Gene. Gary, appreciate your feedback here. Uh, we always have a good time. Uh, we get together with Greg and Kelly. We lead the show much more informed. Sophia says, it'd be interesting to see if airless tires performance is better, especially related to durability, as well as if they also help to reach sustainability goals. Excellent point there. James says, as a vendor, it does seem like procurement is getting faster-ish. 
technical word, even at lar larger, older companies, or at least keeping up with the excitement of the internal champions of a new tech. Kelly, quick comment there. Uh Absolutely. Thank you for noticing, James. And we're doing it not just by going faster ourselves, but by distributing more decision-making and access to information out into the company. So decisions that can be made on a more localized contained level should be made on that basis. It, no one should be waiting for procurement to get something that they need to do their job. Well said. And James, of course, uh, the infamous, the one and only, the extraordinary uh, James Malley with Packard is going to be with us August 10th uh, for that webinar we mentioned on the front end. So, James, great to have you here. Greg. Yeah, next stage for your business. Sorry, I'm an idea man, Chuck. Um, <laughs> next stage for your business, build the box around the product you're shipping. There you go, James. Nice. Because right? right now what James's company does is they go, this is the box you've got. Here's everything you should fit into it so as not to ship air, which we hate in supply chain. But imagine if you could say, here's what we've got to ship and just build laser print the box right around it. Love it. Love Soy. it. Idea. <laughs> Ideas. All right. So Greg and Kelly. Feed the mayo to the team. <laughs> from, uh, we want to we make the leap from 3D printing to... Halloween? Did I read that right? Halloween? Well, yes. It would not be the U.S. retail industry if we weren't talking about Halloween on August 1st. Goodness gracious. But Greg and Kelly, Hershey's CEO, Michelle Buck, is predicting that their chocolate production may not be able to meet U.S. consumer demand for Halloween. So the question I'm asking here, we just talked about 3D printing. There's got to be some kind of application to make sure that Kit Kat's there's no disruption to the Kit Kat supply chain, Greg and Kelly. But I digress. Uh, Kelly, I want to get your thoughts first about uh, this this read here about Halloween chocolate. So actually, my response is actually a <clears throat> question back to you guys. You know, anybody that's in, I don't know, I guess my part of the state, the Shrewsbury Community Facebook page is sort of the source of all information, both sorted and useful. I'm sure every town has its has its own. But somebody recently, just last week, ratted out a local retailer that already has their Halloween section set up in the store. And of course, it's an emotional response. We're saying, we only just had the 4th of July. Why are you already putting Halloween candy in the stores? But my question is, if the shortages are so severe... Is it better for Hershey to be trying to have this long, drawn-out buying season? Or would they be better off piling up as much as they possibly can from an inventory standpoint, waiting until maybe back-to-school shopping is done mid-September, and then taking more of a shock-and-awe inventory approach uh, to, to meeting demand? So that would be, you know, where does the whole time question, why does Halloween shopping need to be four months long? Right. Um, is that potentially a factor they could play with? Right. Uh, Greg, I'm coming to you next, but really first, Peter Bole is kind of talking those, uh, is echoing Kelly's thoughts here. He says, likely setting us up for higher prices called conditioning and positioning tactic. Interesting there. Greg, your thoughts. I know you did a, a kind of a deep dive in this a few months back. Your thoughts? Yeah. Here. Can you believe it? Um, the, Michelle Buck, the CEO at Hershey, announced this a couple months ago after Easter because they so abjectly failed at um, fulfilling demand in Easter, part of which, the biggest part of which is palm oil. So 
there was a major issue with palm oil in Indonesia, which is one is the lo- world's largest producer by a long shot. Um, and they wanted to maintain palm oil is also used for other products in Indonesia, by the way, one of the most environmentally destructive products on the entire planet. Um, maybe second only to rare earth minerals. Um, and, um, but it, but it's, they had a major shortage in Indonesia where they use it for all kinds of things. So that kind of set all of this in motion. The realization occurred during the Easter season by Hershey's and and many, many others. And the alternatives are not very viable. Other oils uh, or volumes of palm oil from other parts of the country just simply cannot sustain the volume of, of candy production. So she's been signaling this for months now. And, you know, I think this is kind of like your take on the 3d story. This is a a regurgitation of that, of that original warning, just because it's closer to time to, to warn people to, for what purpose, I don't know, but labor is an issue for them. um, And then uh, raw materials are, are an issue. Honestly, I have not checked back in on it and they don't say anything about it in the article we're presenting here about the state of demand um, for palm oil. Mm. Uh, because in the previous article that they had done, that it was done, uh, let's see, who did that? Uh, Supply Chain Dive did it. it. The previous article that was done, they talked about when they might actually release uh, quantities of palm oil to the marketplace. Honestly, did not follow up to see uh, what happened there. So to your point, Kelly, I'm not sure. I'm not sure they could spread out the demand because the raw materials are um are not available and or not adequately available now one thing they did do and this is what i report talked about when they reported this earlier was um they did say some products require less palm oil which is used to keep the chocolate from sticking to the wrapper or to other uh chocolates some products require less of that and that won't be as impacted as others. And I honestly would have to look back, um, whether it was smaller or larger products that had, that used less palm oil. Well, you know what? Um, and, and this graphic here kind of reminds everybody some of the hurts, some of the mainline Hershey's products. Why couldn't like wax lips, Run out, run into supply chain disruption. Why circus peanuts? Eat? Yeah, circus peanuts. Why peeps. couldn't? Uh, what's that? Peeps. peeps. Yes, Why peeps. couldn't peeps? Yes. Short, or, right. <laughs> or there's a um, there's a um, bit of honey. Why couldn't all those things? But man, don't mess with the Kit Kats. I could I could do okay with the Reese's and and even the Hershey's chocolate bars, but don't mess with the Kit Kats. But I'm I'm so glad, Greg. Uh, you had um, done it, dove into this story earlier. Uh, kind of gives interesting perspective. Jose says it's uh, revenue now versus seasonal. That's what Jose says. James says palm oil based Halloween costumes only. <laughs> Greg, why? <laughs> <laughs> he's he's uh he's quoting you. Kind of a fake quote there. I love that, James. Um, and let's see here. And um, so. Don't mess with our candy, right? Uh, Kelly and Greg, don't mess with our candy. We'll see what happens. All right. So as we kind of run, man, we're coming down fast and furiously to the end of today's Dow P version of Supply Chain Buzz. But I want to ask you, Kelly, Greg and I want to ask you, 
Uh, Joshua says, everything's better than peeps. That is a mathematical equation there. Uh, We agree with you, Joshua, and great to have you here via LinkedIn. Um, All right. So, Kelly, talk to us about, Greg and I are interested in your latest episode, which I believe was cross-pollinated on the main Supply Chain Now channel today. So tell us more. Yes. No, it was. It came out on the main channel today. So this is actually an interview that I did as a follow-on to an episode from maybe three or four weeks ago. Um, On June 17th, all of the member countries of the World Trade Organization voted to grant an IP waiver for COVID-19 vaccines. Now, patents are held nationally. So the fact that this international organization took the step of saying we're no longer going to enforce these patents internationally goes against some of the precedent that has had existed in the past under something called the TRIPS protocol. Um, And so in researching that episode, I had the opportunity to meet Wen Shea. She's a patent attorney and and someone that had a very interesting point of view on this story. And so I recently interviewed her. And I think the most interesting thing about it is not just that she made this complex story easy for people to digest that don't have a legal background or don't work in IP, but we took a look at some of the other industries and types of innovation that might be impacted by this precedent being set. For instance, even since June 17th, the Secretary General of the United Nations has come out and said, you know, renewable battery technologies, that's something that all countries need, especially developing nations. And those intellectual property constraints, they're getting in the way. So we're going to need to find a way to clear all that up. Wow. And so it's it's interesting now that this box is open, um, where are we going to see it, where it's head? How is it going to change private incentives to innovate in public or cross-industry partnerships? Really fascinating, but honestly down-to-earth conversation that I had with Wen on this topic. Love it. You can check that out at uh, Dial P for Procurement, wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, find it and subscribe or on the main channel here today. Uh, we've gotten a lot of feedback around this episode, Kelly. So great work. Uh, Greg, really quick, as we start to wind down, we got some great comments I want to want to wrap up with. Um, you know, this this IP and dismissing uh, intellectual property claims on, on a variety of products, regardless of how they rationalize it, that's dangerous territory, isn't it, Greg? Yeah, it'll stunt innovation unquestionably. Why would I spend all the money, take all the risk to build something that someone's just going to take away from me as soon as it becomes valuable to the masses, right? Um, I mean, billions, maybe trillions were spent to develop the COVID vaccines. And if and who is going to spend that kind of money knowing that it instantly becomes the world's? That's like writing Gone with the Wind and and making it public domain before you even have a chance to sell it in the bookstores. Mm. So who, who's going to take that risk? I think it's really, really dangerous. It's already dangerous, first of all. A lot of co- countries won't enforce other countries regardless of this trips protocol they don't enforce other countries um um protections of intellectual property and china is the biggest thief of intellectual property on the planet and and also the largest at least currently the largest population nation on the planet so So you're saying they're like more dangerous right they're like the rick flair of of ip heavyweight thievery uh, Greg, Did, is that right? Uh, okay, I, I guess. Did he cheat in every single uh, one of his <laughs> matches? He cheated a lot of 17 yeah. national, uh, yes. 17, yeah. 
Um, well, well said, Greg. Uh, excellent point, because who would make that investment uh, if they don't stand to uh, profit um, and, and lose all those resources? You know, Kelly, we've got we can't name names, but we've got an interesting interview being solidified soon where this plays into uh, hopefully the conversation. So we'll see. Um, all right. Greg and Kelly, y'all check out some of these comments here as we wrap the supply chain buzz. I know we're going to go over just a minute or two. Um, Sophia, back to chocolate, because that is um, a very important topic for all of us, right? And our kids, she had read that Hershey already had done the product rationalization in April to try to mitigate this. I think, Greg, you touched on that. Marie, hey, Marie, great to have you back. Enjoyed our conversation a couple months ago. Marie says, now we'll have to hoard again. <laughs> Can't have a Halloween without my peanut butter. Peanut butter cups. I'm Part of the problem with hoarding chocolate is it becomes that chalky, junky stuff that you get at those janky convenience stores <laughs> that mostly sell lottery tickets, right? Has anyone ever gotten a dusty, right? A dusty candy bar yeah. that's been on the shelf for a year or whatever uh, it takes for it to do that? Yeah. It's the worst. There, I mean, it, there is a shelf life issue here, right? That's very, very real. So, uh, Rhonda says, My goodness, what I learn on this show. Uh, palm oil uses. He, she loves some Kit Kat too, Scott. Lip candy, peeps, goodness, sugar rush time. Uh, love that and love that you are here with us here today. Uh, let's see. Abdullahi, I believe, uh, via LinkedIn from Morocco. Great to have you here today. Next time, tune in earlier. We'd love to get your take on some of these stories that we talk about throughout the hour. Uh, Peter Bolay is back to uh, focusing on work and he's got an upcoming fundraiser. Dreams Take Flight, annual golf tournament. Peter, you're going to have to share information uh, with us soon on that. Uh, Gary, Ric Flair, oh my, <laughs> WWE. <laughs> so, and finally, Greg Me Studer gets the final word. <laughs> on the chocolate palm oil, was this Hershey issue of not having backup farms like in South America uh, where they, or where they were just relying on a major source? That's a great question. Greg, you, you got a bunch of great questions here today. In in Argentina, Argentina has its own problems producing anything right now and also has 62% inflation. Um, but still, the combination of every other nation on the planet that produces palm oil can't produce as much as Indonesia does. Mm. Interesting. Very interesting there. Well, hey, um, Greg and Kelly, always a pleasure. to, to um, Audience, listeners, big thanks for all the comments and the questions and, and y'all weighing in here today. Really enjoyed that almost as much as Greg and, and Kelly's perspective. Uh, Kelly, how can folks connect with the one and only Kelly Barner? Easiest way is LinkedIn. From there, you'll get everything Dial P, everything Supply Chain Now, and this week in business history that I do, and everything Art of Procurement. So that's the best place to go. Wonderful. Y'all have got a big event coming up at uh, Art of Procurement. Um, maybe we can find a way of adding that link really quick, uh, Kelly, what is that and what date? Yes, Category Palooza on August 11th from 11 a.m. Eastern. See, I told you procurement was cool, Greg. <laughs> I love it. I love it. When, yeah, it is cool. Yeah. It is, is a uh, summer festival of category insights, color dust optional. Okay. Is uh, is uh, red hot chili peppers or um, Jane's addiction involved in Category <laughs> Palooza? Yeah. Thankfully, there's no musical numbers. <laughs> oh. Just insights and data and great discussions and lots of interaction. Oh, yeah. I tell you, Kelly and Phil and the whole AOP team, y'all check that out. Uh, you will not be disappointed. Uh, Greg White, speaking of not being disappointed, every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, uh, the hits just keep on coming. The fresh takes keep on coming. We're getting so, you know, the one we talked about fr from Friday 
had hundreds of interactions and comments. I mean, clearly yeah. you're, you're, um, uh, you're giving something, you're giving a new take for folks to think about and then respond and react to and share their take on. So, uh, the next one, uh, let's see. Well, the next one in two days, right? Wednesday. Greg? Yeah. 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 And I, and I appreciate that, Scott. I think Kelly does a lot of the same thing. She exposes a lot of the underlying message there, the things people don't know, things like that South America palm oil thing and, and those kind of things. And she does a great job pr better than I do, I think. But, um, but yeah, I, I really enjoy doing that because I think there is so much opportunity to uh, get angled or biased in a certain way, even, even um, unintentionally. Right. It's funny because the most popular article I had has like six had like 10,000 reads in one day. Um, wow. And um, it was about how companies are starting to pull out of of Amazon and expecting lower returns and et cetera, et cetera. So it's amazing what is top of people's minds. And that helps us a lot, too, with our content to learn what people really care about. And Kelly, you do a great job of that. Um, as you know, it was um, tough to even get me to understand procurement, much less be interested in it. And I love listening to what you talk about because it is so fascinating and it, it really ties together the commonalities of supply chain and procurement to un completely underappreciated still areas of the business, but we're coming up fast. Oh yeah, we sure are. Coming up fast, coming up fast. All right, folks, uh, big thanks to everyone that tuned in today. Appreciate all the great comments uh, and feedback. Greg White, Kelly Barner, always a pleasure. Really have enjoyed this Dial P edition of the Supply Chain Buzz. A big thanks and big tip of the hat to Clay and Amanda and Catherine Chantel, all the folks behind the scenes helping to make production happen. Uh, but Greg and Kelly, we got one final message for folks. No, it's mm. not go out and get your Kit Kats now and, <laughs> and load up on a whole garage full. No, no, no. Don't do that. Um, everything's going to be okay. But most importantly, whatever you heard here today, it's all about deeds, not words, right? Uh, on behalf of Greg and Kelly, Scott Luton signing off, challenging you to do good, to give forward, and to be the change that's needed. And with that said, we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now.